Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. Beyond the Bikini, we talk a lot about training and nutrition. Trust me, it can be challenging to hit your fitness goals on your own. There is so much out there when it comes to working out, hitting your nutrition, and finding the plan that's right for you and your goals. Now, one thing that can make that a lot easier is hiring a coach and getting support towards your goals. I'm happy to say that I do offer online health and fitness coaching. I have plans that vary from support with training and nutrition and just your nutrition, and I even offer challenges throughout the year. If that sounds like something you're interested in, make sure you check out that description box down below. You can also find more details on my coaching services at NicoleFerrierFitness.com or even on Instagram at NicoleFerrierFitness. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. I'm excited for today's guest. She is a returning guest. We have Celeste Rains Turk here. Hello. Your name always gets me all tied up. It's just so many. <laughs> I hear that a lot. Honestly, it is a long name. How have you been? You're in prep. Tell us about it. Yeah, prep. Um, It's been almost a year of prep. I started in November and it hit me the other day. Someone at the gym was like, how much weight have you lost? And I was like, holy crap, I lost like 50 pounds. I didn't even realize it. And um, I'm feeling really excited for this end of the season I feel like it's the best I've ever had the best I've ever brought um not just from a physique perspective but posing confidence mental strength like I'm feeling so excited and at the end of the day like whatever happens in these next two shows because while we're recording this I'm doing a back-to-back peak week so it's going to be this weekend and next weekend and I'm just like proud of myself because I've come so far and I've made the progress that was requested of me and I look at my photos and I'm like yep I did it. And that's gratifying. Yeah, it's um, that's definitely a really long prep. And one thing I know a lot of people bring up is feeling burnt out or like struggling with their relationship with food in a dieting phase or like a prep phase. How would you say you've been able to stay strong throughout such a long prep? Uh, I have this motto where I say we have to accept what we can expect so with this sport there's a lot of things we can expect hunger changes in mood maybe or changes in energy levels uh, there's going to be demands whether that's higher cardio or a change in your workout programming or structure so if we have expectations of things that can change or may come up and then we can accept that those things will happen i think we can do a better job of coping with them or even seeing them for what they are So that helps me along with reminding myself like why I do this and knowing that like my mission and my purpose is driving me forward. So no matter what the length of time is or the commitment level, like I'd be living this lifestyle anyways. And prep is just taking it to that next level. And that is something I'm signing up for. It's something I want to do. 
And I don't like to complain about the sport that I'm choosing to do or that I love to do. So when I speak positively about it to others, it also maintains that positivity within me and it adds so much to my life. So because it's adding to my life too, it's been easy to stick out a long breath. And I've got the support of, a. I switched coaches and I have the support of Adam now and he's amazing. And that's helped me as well because he's really paying attention to all the little details, which is helping me to like bring my best and stay healthy. Yeah. I think a lot of people have to understand like taking ownership with their goals. Like even if you're just a lifestyle client and you want to diet, I remind people like, Hey, like it's okay to be a little hungry here and there for losing body fat. The body does fight some of these changes because our bodies, they want to stay the same. They don't like to go up. They don't like to go down. They want to stay exactly where you're at. That's your body's job. But whenever someone gets a little bit of that uncomfortable signal, and if they've never had it before, they can start to freak out. And I think in a prep, like I, I constantly remind myself too, like if I'm dealing with higher amounts of hunger or, you know, maybe low energy one day, I just remind myself like, this is going to pass. These are just some negative feelings I'm feeling right now, but it's not going to be my forever. And I'm also choosing to do this. I can stop at any point. No one's like holding a gun to my head saying you have to prep. Like, no, it's not that serious. And if you want to stop, you can. That's exactly right. And like, um, that makes me think too, of another thing I've been telling myself is embrace this now. Cause when it's over, you're going to miss it or you're going to miss how it made you feel, or there's going to be parts of it that it was demanding. Yes. And it was challenging. Yes. But there was a benefit to those demands. There's a benefit to that challenge and pushing through that. So, you know, when we grieve our prep at the end of a prep and we go into a post-show, a lot of times people have those post-show blues, that funk comes on. And I think a lot of that is just a grieving process of the prep and the expectations or the person that you had to show up as to be successful in prep. Um, So I've been thinking a lot about like, what is this bringing me in my life? And what might I miss about prep when it's over? And that's helped me to bring that appreciation into everything I do, like being fully present when I'm doing my cardio, being fully present when I'm lifting, like really enjoying the posing sessions or when I'm feeling hunger, like thanking my body for signaling me in that way and not going on autopilot because I want to cherish and embrace this journey because it's a blessing to be able to do it. Yeah, totally. I love that mindset too. It's like such an athlete based mindset. Tell us a little bit more about you just got your master's, right? Yes, I did. What made you want to go that route? Cause I know you're passionate about mental health. Yeah. Um, so after I got the degree in psychology, I was like already running my business, helping competitors build more than just a body. I was enjoying it. And I thought, you know, maybe I could just take it to the next level. And something that was on my heart when I committed to getting my master's degree was bridging the gap between, and I wrote this in my um, essay for getting into school, but like bridging the gap between athletes, competitors, and mental health professionals, and having mental health professionals feel more comfortable supporting athletes and having athletes feel more comfortable reaching out for mental health support. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wanted to bridge that gap. And I thought that I was a good person to do that because I was already doing a lot of that leadership in the bodybuilding space and making competitors feel they have a safe place to go for mental health support. I didn't go into it saying I want to become a licensed counselor or therapist or anything like that. It was more so just I want more knowledge and experience and expertise and like get into the clinical field. So that's why I pursued that. And then with that degree, you know, you have to do an internship. And I went into my internship and I learned so 
much. I just gained a lot of perspective. And now that I'm completed with that, I've got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. And then I had to take what's called the national uh, counselor exam. And when you pass that, you become a national certified counselor. So technically I'm a national certified counselor, but I haven't decided yet if I'm going to go for licensure or if I'm going to just stay in like this consulting route that I'm in, or maybe pursue a PhD and do research. So I'm giving myself space to breathe uh, after this big achievement of mine, but that's what inspired it was to bridge that gap and gain more experience and knowledge into like other issues. Because a lot of times what I find with the clients that I work with is there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. Um, And so it's just been great to learn even more about that. Yeah. I think that a lot of times in like bodybuilding, we focus on the external shell of the person, how they look and how they perceive themselves on social media, but we don't really look into the athlete. And one thing I've had people, you know, mention to me is thank you for talking about the mental health. And thank you for talking about the struggles that bodybuilders have, because it's almost like when we're talking about masculinity, I'm not saying that women who lift, lift are masculine, but the idea behind strength and achieving that is a masculine energy. And so one thing that people tend to do who gravitate towards that is they put a guard up. And so they feel like they can't be vulnerable and they can't talk about these struggles that they're having yet they're happening in the sport. I'm sure that you see often with people dealing with full-blown eating disorders and they're in bodybuilding and you can tell they like bodybuilding, but they don't like their eating disorder, you know, <laughs> and they, they don't know what to do. And it's very vulnerable to, you know, wave your flag and say, Hey, I need help. I need someone to talk to. Um, and also like my coach, like my personal trainer or my coach isn't qualified to help me in this. And there's no shame in reaching out for mental health help. And I will say the, like overall mood has seemed to change in a more positive direction for people reaching out for help, but every single like therapist or counselor has a niche. And so like yours in particular is very unique that I think a lot of, you know, athletes and bodybuilders, competitors can gravitate towards. Thank you. Yeah. I've always appreciated that about you as well, that you go beyond the bikini, as you would say. It's really awesome. And it's something that I know a lot of people value in you. And I personally value, like when I refer people to you, I'm like, this is someone who will really understand because you've been there. And I think that's why a lot of people refer their girls to me because they're like, well, Celeste is not going to deter someone from competing because she believes in it. She loves it. She has a passion for it. She sees it's possible to compete and have a healthy relationship with food and your body image at the same time. Like you don't have to explain things to me. This is something I I always find um, important is like, if you come to me for support, you don't have to explain macros. You don't have to explain your meal plan or your gut protocol or what bodybuilding is or anything like that. Whereas a lot of times if you go elsewhere, and this is part of why I wanted to bridge the gap is you're gonna have to explain a lot of the bodybuilding process. And something that came up in um, my master's program at the end, we were all giving each other feedback in our little cohort thing. And they were like, Celeste, what I really appreciated is you taught us so much about bodybuilding and athletes. And I was like, good, that's what I wanted. You know, that was my intention. And now they feel more comfortable or more knowledgeable. So what that does is it now saves people the time from explanation, Mm -hmm. or at least it gives more perspective. And I think that's why like I do well in this niche is because I understand them and there's not a lot of need for explanation. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to not fall into like a camp of anti-competing, anti-diet, anti-this or that. Like I, I tell people, I, I have people question me too. They're like, are you anti this or that? I'm like, I'm not anti anything. You know, like, I feel like once you put that guard up, the reason why you're anti competing, for example, is because you didn't do the work beforehand or during, or you caught something to address that issue. You know, the reason why you have this hate or fear, or, um, I don't want to say like guilt, but you're upset at yourself because competing was a door opening some other issues that needed to be addressed. And same goes for dieting. I mean, some people who've never dieted before, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like falling down this hole. Like I've never experienced these feelings before. And then they get themselves all wrapped up and struggling with their relationship with food, which I'm sure is something you see. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, I personally have that too, where I was like, I hate competing. I became that jaded competitor after my first show. And then I stepped back and I took responsibility and I was like, okay, actually, I love this lifestyle. I enjoyed the prep. I'm just upset about like the behaviors that came after. And that's a result of me not addressing that before getting into the sport instead of using the sport as a crutch. So I think a lot of times people play the blame game as a way to mitigate self-responsibility or personal responsibility. So when you do that, you're saying, I don't want to look at this dark, scary thing about myself. So I'm just going to say that it's the sport or it's my coach or it's this thing. But it, when you do that, you close yourself off to other possible routes or experiences or opportunities to experience success in this and not have that negative type of association with the sport. So mm-hmm. like you, I'm not anti anything. I'm more so like pro what can you do for the longest period of time in the most sustainable way that is fulfilling and empowering? That's the route we take, not what so-and-so from such and such is doing, but like what's actually going to be of benefit to you. And can you, can you uh, accept the outcome of committing to something like that? Because maybe your commitment level isn't going to get you where you want or say you want to go, but it's ultimately going to help you in the long run. Or maybe you have to be willing to sacrifice just a little bit of what you think is sustainable. So you can have that extreme effort for a short period of time, but you're set up for success long-term after the fact. Yeah. I mean, there's two different extremes here. Like if you're wanting to lose body fat, we are going to have to take you through a deficit It is going to be done through your nutrition or your cardio or a combination of the two with me coaching. I usually will veer off doing the combination because that seems to work best for people. And in that deficit, you are going to be presented with challenges and you do have to practice some restraint around food, but you mentioned food behaviors and like some behaviors that are maybe abnormal. Can you kind of define the fine line between like normal food behavior in a fat loss phase or diet and then some abnormal behavior? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Like um, a lot of it, I think comes down to intention. So What is your intention behind the behavior that you're choosing to engage in? For example, someone who is constantly volume eating, if their intention is to avoid hunger or um, to make themselves feel really full or to just keep eating and eating for a long period of time, like that may not be the best intention to repeat over and over again. But if your intention is I'm going to eat a voluminous salad for like one meal a day to get a lot of micronutrients in and it'll hold me over since this is the time of the day where I'm working a lot. And then I find that it mitigates my hunger going into the evening so I can better satisfy myself for the rest of the night without letting thoughts of food get them up. That's a better intention. 
Mm-hmm. So I think intention is really key. Um, specifically, if we want to talk about like very specific behaviors, I don't think that it's healthy to be like getting rid of all the food in your house that you don't trust yourself around having someone in your house hide food from you. This is not healthy. Um, I don't believe that it's healthy to essentially like save up calories and then, you know, for a not binge, but for a big meal later, that feels more like a binge. Like I, I don't think calorie hoarding is smart. Um, I think it's unhealthy to play that game of like, I lost weight this week because I cut out this food rather than I lost weight this week for a number of variables, like really looking at the whole picture. Um, I think a normal behavior in dieting, you know, is accepting, yes, you're going to be hungry and knowing you're going to be hungry and sometimes engaging in things like, okay, I'm going to drink a bit more flavored water, or maybe I'm going to have more sparkling water or having little things that help you through it. I don't think that's necessarily unhealthy until it goes to an extreme. Like if you're drinking five cups of coffee because caffeine helps you to mitigate hunger, or um, you're drinking like only sparkling water because nothing else satisfies those are some of the behaviors that I'm like, mm, that's not going to be beneficial long-term. Um, so yeah, hoarding food or saving up calories, no good. Um, I think obsessing over macros or the meals you're choosing can also be dangerous. If you're so fixated on the number and you're not thinking about the reason for the foods you're choosing, you're closing off a big portion behind like why you're doing what you're doing. So if the only reason you're doing this is to lose weight or drop fat, you're reinforcing that that's the purpose for the choices you're making. So if that purpose isn't fulfilled, you now feel those intentions or those choices were effort uh, or um, meaningless. But if you go into it like, okay, I'm choosing to nourish myself with these foods for these reasons, and it doesn't have anything even to do with because my coach told me to, or because it fits my macros, it's it's for all these other things too. Maybe it's health, maybe it's satisfaction, maybe it's culture, maybe it's experience, maybe it's other goals in your life. If you can consider all those factors, now you're creating an even healthier, stronger relationship with food as well as your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a handful of behaviors that I keep an eye out for. Um, some of those like volume meetings, like a huge one, like every single one of your meals, you're doing like a ginormous smoothie and then a salad and then rice cakes. And, you know, it's just so much volume. And these are usually the same people who are dealing with digestion mm-hmm. and bloating based issues. Um, the extreme walkers, <laughs> any single yes. problem they have, they go for a walk. And if I see you getting the amount of steps that you're going to get at Disneyland, I will call you out for that. Um, weighing in and not looking at it like data, but using it as a moral compass and then calling yourself names. So if I see people say like, oh, I feel fat or I'm disgusting, or I'm not going to send you pictures this week because I look horrible. Like those are all red flags that like, okay, this person is dealing with something more than just like, hey, I want to lose weight. Like there's some emotional issues going on here. Secret eating is another one where they wait for people to go to bed. I used to do this. Like everyone goes to bed and then you're going to go eat. Um, I even remember like when I was super young struggling, I wouldn't eat in front of boyfriends. So I would like hang out with them all day and be scared to eat because they're scared of judgment um, or they are wanting to potentially binge eat and they don't want that judgment either. 
And then um, also just a side one is caffeine abuse and or nicotine abuse or even vaping. Like if I see people doing that excessively, that's kind of a red flag that their relationship with food is not doing too good. Especially if it's like flavored or that's the only like satisfaction they're getting or they're doing it to avoid wanting to eat. Yeah. Or gum, gum chewing too. Gum chewing. Yes. Um, or eating tons and tons of jello or those like, no, like super low calorie type foods. That's definitely concerning. And I'm glad you brought up the secret eating. That's a huge one. Um, sneaking food at all or, um, the chewing and spitting. I wanted to mention that one too. I hear that a lot. Like, oh, I tend to like chew and spit and, and I'm like, oh yeah, well we need to stop. Like we need to get ahead of that because chewing and spitting is creating like a whole other host of issues. And you mentioned the scale and there has been research that shows body image dissatisfaction is like the number one predictor of disordered eating. So it's so important that we address body image dissatisfaction because, and I think the reasoning for this based on different things that I've seen with the people I've worked with, as well as my own experience, and then things that I've learned in the field is strong associations get formed between what someone's eating and and how their body is looking, whether it's through TV, commercials, magazines, um, posts that they're seeing on social media or their own experiences. They form this strong connection where they go, because I ate this and this was the result that that means that this is the correlation rather than I ate this, this is the result. But again, there's all these other variables. So we have to be really mindful of those associations. And like, um, I pay attention to the language people use when they're discussing like their food choices and, and seeing where associations might be being made. Like, oh, I didn't have X, Y, Z today. And therefore this, I'm like, okay. So maybe you didn't have like the cookies you normally binge on. And therefore you had more progress this week. Um, but, and you express this to your coach and you guys celebrated it, but was it because you didn't have any cookies or was it because you didn't have 10 cookies in a binge frenzy that made you feel bad about yourself? We want to be mindful that it's not always just like demonizing the food or it's putting any food on a pedestal or anything like that. So I, I'm mindful of the language choice too. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to rewind a bit and talk about the chewing and spitting and yeah. talk about how like, that's like such it looks innocent on the outside and it's different if you eat like a food that's like bad, like moldy and <laughs> yes. that, that out. That's fine. But we're talking about you you're you're wanting to eat a cookie, but then you just chew and you spit it out. You're like flirting with bulimia at this point. So we need to not do that. And also, I was looking into this a while back because I actually used to also struggle with this. It can cause decay in the mouth. And it can also mess up your digestion because digestion starts in our mouth. So if you are chewing and spitting, or if you're the person chewing a trillion pieces of gum a day, you are screwing up with your digestion because your body thinks you're eating all the time, or it thinks you're eating and then you're not because there's no calories going in. So there is some confusion going on. Um, and that's definitely something to bring up. And that's so uncomfortable for people like who wants to say I, I chew and spit but you're not going to be able to get the help that you need until you can admit that there's a problem yes and there's a lot of behaviors people are afraid to admit like I'm sure you've heard crazy things I've heard crazy things but like and I'm using the word crazy because even to the person experience them it feels like they're going crazy but like 
doing that and then spraying your trash can with Lysol or throwing food away so you won't dig back through the trash and eat it or you're like literally rubbing chemicals on it so you won't like that's very dangerous behavior this is not healthy and the chewing and spitting like we are we're, we're changing the way that we think about food when we do things like that and I what I always emphasize is like mindfulness-based eating we're thinking about the decision we're making before we actually make it like this is really really important so it's not just like putting it in your mouth and by the way, I think also what's happening is when people do that, they're getting an instant like gratification type of spike in their brain where they're like, yeah, that was like super yummy and super good, but I didn't have to pay the consequence of it. And that's like what you were saying, you're flirting with bulimia. It's like the belief there is I can get away with this as long as I do this after. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes if someone's like eating extra, another red flag, eating extra and then working it off. Like you said, watching the steps or I'm going to go and do extra cardio or I'm going to take from my macros tomorrow. I think there's a fine line between borrowing macros from one day. So you might you know, have this great family experience or maybe you're extra hungry today and you and your coach are playing with intuitive type of cues and signals. That's different. But if you're constantly borrowing food from another day or you're constantly um, overeating one day and then just saying, oh, I just won't eat as much tomorrow. That's that's dangerous behavior too. That's not normal. We want to find like that baseline for you consistently um, so you can actually have positive cues because a lot of people tell me like they no longer have hunger cues fullness cues I'm like one you're on autopilot two you're never giving yourself a chance to listen and three you don't have a consistent necessarily like eating window or schedule and you don't feel comfortable putting food away when you're full because you feel like you have to finish it or you feel like oh because it was already tracked in my macros I have to finish it so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of those underlying beliefs that I think contribute to the negative behaviors too Yeah. I mean, I think if you're struggling with your relationship with food, we need to take a step away from dieting and focus on fueling your body enough because there are a lot of chemical changes that are going on in the brain too. If you've dealt with chronic restriction and that can be even mental and the physical restriction, and then you can become a more mindful eater. You know, it's not normal to eat and have this like crazy dialogue going on in your head. And people don't realize that you can have something else. You can have bliss. You can have quietness. You can have, um, being present. You can have no thought of like, there needs to be punishment after this. And when you get that feeling, it's like priceless, but explaining that to someone that's never had that before is like talking about, um, it's so bright outside, but then they've got these big ass sunglasses on. So like, they're never going to know what that's like, but you can know, you just have to take a break from dieting and you have to give your body time. Like you can't rush your healing process and getting back your leptin signals, which is your satiety hormone. It's going to come back. Ghrelin will calm down, which is your hunger hormone. Um, even just signaling to your gut of like fullness and digestion being appropriate will take time and it will catch up, but you need to give yourself that time. And then you can become more of a mindful eater because so many people think you can go from restriction, poor relationship with food. And then I want to be mindful eater. I'm going to go do that. But you can't do that without going through what you're too nervous to face. hundred percent. It's so true. And like, I think back to when I was, um, 
really struggling and in the thick of it. I'm like, I can't even, but I can't even believe that's the same person. Like I can't even imagine going back to my old garage and sneaking Oreos and then running upstairs when I heard someone was about to come inside. Like it, it almost blows my mind that that's how I lived. Or, or I remember this one lake trip with friends. I brought all my prep meals because like super into it. And like, well, yes, that helped me create like the discipline and the drive that I have now as a bodybuilder. There was a lot of underlying negative reasons for that. Mm-hmm. So like when you're in it, you feel stuck. You feel like there is no way out. There's no way that I'll ever be someone who doesn't binge. There's no way I'll ever be someone who doesn't um, have these struggles with food or constantly think about it. The truth is though, you can be someone who doesn't and you can eventually get to the place where you're like, wow, I can't even believe that was me. Part of that though, like you said, it's, it's facing the darkness. It's also facing what happens when you get to the light, because many people are worried about giving up the disordered eating or the negative relationship to self because of what that means. They're also having to give up. Maybe Mm -hmm. they think it means they're giving up the ability to eat certain foods. Maybe it means they're giving up the one coping mechanism they've learned. Maybe it means they have to learn how to validate themselves and they have no idea where to start with that, or they have to face emotions that are difficult, or now they're never there. They think they're never going to be able to have a meal with that's like not tracked or not weighed, you know? So there's these underlying fears that come with giving up a piece of their identity that they know doesn't serve them but that does serve them on many ways in many levels so it's difficult to release the disordered patterns but when someone does and it's it takes that strength and courage to do so because it's likely serving you in many ways it's so freeing and it is possible to find other ways to satisfy yourself in the way that a, a disordered pattern or or we could even say a maladapt a maladaptive coping strategy uh is serving you yeah And I definitely want to dive more into coping strategies, but briefly want to touch upon like your labels that you give yourself, like become your reality. So like, even I know it sounds cheesy, like talking about affirmations and manifestation, but like, I do believe in that to some degree, because if you're constantly saying that you're like, you're a dumb, you're broke, you're a loser, you're a horrible girlfriend or whatever, you're going to become those things because that's all your brain is hearing. But when you start to say the, you know, I am abundant, I am sweet, I am smart, I am hardworking. When you start to say those things, you, you will also start to believe them. And if people start to do that, they're like, oh my gosh, this feels so stupid. It feels stupid because your brain is used to going down this negative path We are supposed to be negative. It's actually a survival mechanism to have our defenses up, but you have to learn how to do the opposite and you can rewire your brain to be a more positive person. And think about it in this way. If you are always saying, I struggle with binge eating, or I have an eating disorder, you will become those things. And you should start saying, I am working on having a healthy relationship with food. I know that my body is like worth having nourishment. Like if you flip the script on yourself, you will start to move in that positive direction. That's right. That's a hundred percent true. And you're, you're correct in saying that a lot of us have those mechanisms as protection And if we can identify where a lot of those defense mechanisms were formed, we can start to rewrite those beliefs too. And I love how you said, like, if you say one thing, you'll start to fixate or maybe become that. And what you're discussing and describing too is like a person-centered language. 
um, in the counseling field, we avoid saying things like, uh, you have depression. It's not you have depression. It's you are coping with depression or you are living with it. It's not yours. It's not you. You are not the depression. You are not the anxiety. You are not the eating disorder. I've had, I've had, I had a client one time who's become a great friend actually, but we had a consult call and I was like, you don't have to work with me, but, and I'm going to give you time to think about it. I was like, but I cannot leave this call without telling you that you are not your eating disorder because she had been through treatment and things even before all this. And she said that that completely changed her life and her perspective because everyone else had labeled her as the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So she had to free herself from that identity when you can like detach from that. Like you're not that person you're dealing with it. You're, you're coping with it. You might struggle with it, but it doesn't mean that it's who you are. Like at your core, there's so much more. Mm -hmm. And I think just finding healthier ways to cope. Like one thing that I've utilized with my clients is the acronym HALT, which is just hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and finding healthier coping mechanisms that don't involve that quick dopamine. Um, Hunger, you know, we have to consider that to some degree, you know, are we in a fat loss phase? And like I mentioned earlier, if you're working on your relationship with food, we're going to assume that you're not in a cutting phase. So with hunger, you, you can have a little bit of food, you know, um, angry, lonely, and tired. So what are some coping mechanisms that you would recommend for people dealing with some of those uncomfortable emotions? Well, um, to kind of branch off of your acronym HALT, I'll say the acronym TIP. T-I-P. <laughs> um, so tip temperature. So change your temperature some way, somehow, whether that's splashing cold water on your face, um, holding onto hot pads, um, putting a washcloth over your head, just change your temperature that can change your physiological state. Uh, I intense exercise, <laughs> do some jumping jacks or a sprint or uh, something that raises your heart rate a little bit. This one's a bit more on the, you know, don't do this if you just ate something and now you're trying to work it off. This is more like, okay, intense exercise just to get you out of that state of mind that you're in that could spiral. And then P, like progressive muscle relaxation. So that's something like you're tightening your muscles everywhere and then releasing them. You're doing this with intention. Another coping skill I really like for, um, if you're going to go into maybe an emotional situation or some situation that's triggered you in the past is called cope ahead. So essentially what we want to do is consider like, what is like really visualize what this situation is going to present. So, you know, for a fact, you're going to be going to your parents' house and at your parents' house in the pantry, there's always those things that you'd binge on and you're worried that it's going to trigger you or people are going to offer it to you. So you really have to visualize this situation. And then we want to visualize like what could prevent you from getting through it, what can get you through it, what strengths you have, what skills you have, how you will use those coping skills in that situation. Uh, so I like cope ahead for when you're going into something. And we have to be um, mindful that with that visualization, you want to stay present with yourself because sometimes it it should feel so real in the visualization that you could actually imagine yourself being there. So you've already rehearsed it in your mind. And then one other thing that I'll share is I like to, you well, I kind of want to share two things if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of go together, but we want to be able to validate ourselves. And also we want to be able to find other ways to satisfy or fulfill an emotional need. 
So when I say validate yourself, a lot of times I find that people who fall into emotional type eating is because they don't know exactly how to do that or they're avoiding doing that and facing the emotion. So we can bring in um, the acronym of acknowledge, accept, and understand, then that's the key to self-validation. So, and that's a DBT skill. So when you're doing this, you would go, okay, I, I accept that I'm feeling, or I acknowledge that I'm feeling uh, angry right now. And I can accept that I'm feeling angry because I have been through something that challenged my character and my character used to be challenged as a kid when my dad would question me in this way. And I understand that that's where my response is coming from. So we validate ourselves in the emotion we're experiencing rather than following the shortcut of I'm angry, I'm going to eat to feel better because our brain creates those shortcut loops to get us out of it. Um, but this is also known as the avoidance cycle so or anxiety cycle, but really it's it's an avoidance mechanism where you have the emotion, you avoid the emotion through an unhealthy or maladaptive coping skill, um, and then the emotion or the thing you were avoiding gets stronger, and then you end up having to deal with it again. And so it gets harder and harder, and then usually that results in something much bigger down the road because you never faced it. And that opens me up to this next bit. And that is if you can create like a little reference sheet for yourself of the emotions that generally trigger you to want to eat or uh, give you urges to eat or cravings or things like that on one side. And then what is it that you're actually wanting? So maybe you notice it's like loneliness, sadness, boredom, um, frustration, stress. Okay, now we go to the other column and we say, what's the opposite that I want to feel? If I'm feeling stress, maybe I want relief. Maybe I want relaxation. Maybe I want peace of mind. Maybe I want contentedness. Maybe I want clarity. Now you've got like five different things that you can now outline and say, what brings me peace? What brings me contentedness? What brings me clarity? And now you identify certain behaviors or actions that lead to those emotional responses. Usually we can identify things that have brought us that before. If I say, when, when do you feel most peaceful? And you might say, oh, when my candles are lit in my room and I'm reading a book. Okay, good. Let's put that on the paper. Oh, I feel most clear about myself when I'm focused on like what my goals are. I reread my goals. Cool. Let's put that down. Then we look at that column of all your solutions that create those emotions. And we say, where can this fit into our day-to-day -day? morning, afternoon, evening? Is there any space for it? or in our week to week, month to month, et cetera. So we proactively schedule it out. So our brain, we're supporting our brain and supporting new associations between these skills and those emotions, not just eating and those emotions being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And then also we have a reference sheet where we can say, okay, I'm feeling bored. I'm probably needing this. So I'm going to go try this to cope with it. Mm -hmm. It's having a solution-based mindset versus a reactive-based mindset. And one thing that I like that you mentioned is a lot of anxiety, because usually anxiety is tied into eating disorders um, and a lot of disorders. It tends to also be like, hey, I'm the buddy. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> and like with anxiety, I've definitely struggled with that. And I thought it was interesting you mentioned temperature, because one thing I used to always do whenever I felt like my anxiety was coming on is I would put a like cool pack on my uh, neck and my chest, and I would lay down and do like deep breathing. And my husband thought it was super weird, but I was like, I don't know why this helps, but this is helping. And now every now and then, if I feel those feelings, I don't, you know, I try not to lean into it and focus on my heart rate progressively increasing and making it worse. But again, going from having the reactive mindset into, okay, here's a problem. What's a solution I can have that's going to be, 
you know, proactive and going into that exercise piece of tip, it's not a bad thing to get your body distracted in a movement based way, because a lot of anxiety can also be pent up energy in a way. So this is why I do like the walks, but if you were to, um, even do jumping jacks or high knees for a little bit, your brain has to immediately switch from these bad feelings that you're feeling to, I need to do my high knees so I don't trip over myself and fall on my face. (laughs) Exactly. It's a pattern interruption, really. Yeah. Which is really cool. I like that you mentioned that. Another thing I want to dive more into is just a clear definition between like, am I just falling off track or overeating or am I struggling with binge eating disorder? Yeah. Well, first of all, let's make sure the track someone's on is a healthy track to be on Mm because maybe the track they're on isn't so healthy and that's setting them up for more success. I find that if someone's always saying that they fell off track, I'm like, this is probably not a track we want to be on. If you keep falling off of it, we need to build a new one. So there could be an opportunity there. Um, As far as like someone who's maybe overeating, overeating would probably feel a bit more controlled, maybe even more intentional at times where, okay, you're sitting there, you're still feeling hungry, you kept eating, but then you stopped. um, And you stopped when you felt a bit more full than usual. Overeating oftentimes presents in social or holiday or event type settings too, usually with other people, Um, or it's, it's just slower. It's a slower thing. You overeat and then you kind of realize, oh, I think I ate past fullness. That's more overeating. Binge eating, you're going to notice things that are more like fast paced. So you're eating a higher quantity of food in a shorter period of time than usual or than normal. And probably if someone watched you do it, they would describe it that way too. Like, wow, that person just ate all those food items really quickly, like quicker than you would think someone could throw down like a whole pie. They got through it, you know? So like, that's kind of like how you might describe a binge. A lot of times, like as far as criteria goes, This is interesting. Like there's not much research on bodybuilders, but there is some research on bodybuilders. And what they've found is the eating behaviors are often shared with people who have these disordered eating behaviors, specifically bulimia nervosa. However, doesn't mean that they have bulimia. It doesn't mean that they have binge eating disorder. It's just the eating behavior looks maybe similar, but psychologically it's not the same. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we're paying attention to things like, are you always eating in private? Are you um, following your food with a purging of some sort? Like purging cannot just be vomiting. And a lot of people don't understand purging can also be restricting calories the next day or doing intensive exercise. That's where we might be looking into more of a disorder. Um, binging is oftentimes done in private. You're not likely to go and binge in front of your family or friends. It's usually done in secret, like we touched on earlier. Um, And yeah, it's rapid. A lot of times there's physiological changes. You can feel your heart rate is going up. You're starting to feel out of control. Maybe it feels out of body. And then um, one thing I also want to just point out too, is if you're following a super restrictive plan, that can be a predictor or a risk factor for these types of eating behaviors and outcomes so it may be worth addressing that first before labeling or saying like oh you have a binging problem it's like you may actually have a nutrient deficiency problem you may actually have a programming problem um so being mindful of that too 
And then one other thing is if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're doing this and it's kind of out of a slumber, first look at how much you're eating during the day or how restricted you feel during the day. Address that second, if it's coming up at night and I would pay attention to the environment that you're in. If that's the only time you're in quiet and darkness and no one's around, try to create those opportunities for quiet, darkness, stillness during your day and see if the behavior changes. So I'd say that kind of is the separation between like just falling off track, a little in adherence to overeating, which feels a little bit scary, but it's not like intensive, you're in control. And then there's like the full on disordered where it's like out of control, out of body, sometimes very fast. Um, it doesn't feel like you and it's, it's often not mindful at all. Yeah. And this is where like, if you're working with a coach, you need to be honest, you need to really dive into what did that scenario look like for you? Because like, if your coach just hears, Oh, I, I fell off track. I mean, that could be a multitude of things, you know, and it can be confusing and it can also be uncomfortable saying I ate a enormous amount of food in a short period of time. And I felt really horrible after now, if you are the client and your coach wants to do an increase in your calories, maybe you aren't doing anything super crazy. Maybe you're eating like 1800 calories and you're dealing with this, but they still want to do an increase, which for most coaches, I would recommend this because restriction can be a setting someone up for developing this type of behavior. And like we addressed earlier, it's easier to work on your relationship with food when you're not tacking on a calorie deficit. Um, but you have to be receptive to that. Don't fight it. Don't be like, you know what? I can do better. I can do this. Like I can keep going because if anything, you, you, you need to put that trust in your coach because they can give you that objective eye and you're looking at yourself from a subjective lens. And we get that you want to diet. We get that you want to make more progress, but what's the point of making progress when you start compromising your mental health? Yes. I had a girl reach out to me and she was saying her, her coach wanted to raise the calories up when she had expressed that she was uh, going off plan. And those going off plan moments looked a lot and sounded a lot like binging. And she was worried about this because she was worried that, well, I'm already gaining fat. I'm already gaining weight. If I get an increase in calories, I'm going to gain more. And what if I what if I do this and the binging doesn't stop? So there's definitely that fear with people where they're like, I don't want to increase calories because if the binging doesn't stop. Now I have binging calories on top of the planned calories changing and it's scary. It's like, okay, but you won't know unless you try. Mm-hmm. So it's important to try. And like for perspective, if you have a 5,000 calorie binge and you're eating 18, let's say you eat 1800 calories every day, you have a 5,000 calorie binge two, three times a week. And then your coach raises your calories up to 2,200 a day or 2,300 a day. And that could prevent even one or two binges. It's worth doing. And it's actually mm-hmm. going to benefit your goals and your long-term health further. Yeah. Um, Cause there's so many different reasons for binging, whether it's restriction of calories, whether it's restriction in, in the mentality, whether it's emotion, whether it's coping, whether it's something completely different, like every person is unique and it's important we address it as such. And I think some coaches simplify it and they're like, oh, well, it's just because you don't have the discipline or, oh, it's just because you're not eating enough or, oh, it's just because um, you have a problem with this goal. You don't actually want it so bad. It's not always the case. Um, So I think it's important. Like if you are dealing with this, like be honest with your coach so you can get the best physiological and biological support and then trust them if they suggest, you know, maybe seeking external help too. Yeah. 
And, you know, if you're dealing with a binge and your coach is like trying to punish you through restricting more, like that's red flag. Like that's not okay. And also like shame you, like someone that's just binge, like they already feel like crap and they don't need to be told that they suck or whatever, you know, like that they do want it, but they also, you know, want to not struggle with the binge eating. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch base on is, you know, some people are dealing with this who are incredibly low body fat. And so if you're someone that is like, let's say a hundred pounds and, you know, five, five, for example, like very underweight on the BMI scale, which I don't love BMI, but for underweight, it's a pretty good indicator. Um, you're going to deal with high amounts of hunger and you're more prone to binge eating because your body, especially for ladies, like our bodies, they need body fat on them because if we don't have that, we lose our menstrual cycle. Your body goes into this like fight or flight mode. And it thinks that it's just like surviving at that point. So you do need to make sure your body fat percentage is in a healthy range. And for most females, that's going to be a lot more than your 15% body fat athlete lean. Like, no, we're talking like minimum 18, 20, even some women have to go up to 25% to get everything back in check. Oh, I love that you said that. And that requires acceptance and it requires a level of commitment that you already have within you as an athlete, but people forget like the commitment you have as an athlete is not just for your prep. It's also for your improvement season, or um, even as a lifestyle client, it's not just for your deficit to get ready for something. It's for that long-term pick that long-term bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually looking at my transformation and I thought about you because you had posted like not a lot of people show the improvement season progression. I'm like, yeah, like one of my favorite things is to show that progression and own that progression. And women will say, wow, this is so nice to see. And when I look at it, I see, oh my gosh, I gained a lot of weight. I was like, and that was, I probably wouldn't do that again necessarily unless I had to, or if it came up and my body just did that, but I was so confident in myself and I felt so good about myself anyways. That was such a big win for me that Mm -hmm. I like look back. I'm like, wow, I was a really confident person. Like it didn't matter. And that, that was still important to me. That was part of the process, part of the phase. And when you talk about being super low body fat or being in an extreme deficit, or maintaining such a low body fat, even we can say, thank you body for telling me I need to eat and for focusing on what I don't have enough of. If we don't have enough money in our life, what do we do? We think about ways to make money. If we don't have toilet paper because of if it's gone off the shelves, we think about how do I get toilet paper and we start stocking up. So when we're going through a food restrictive phase, even if you're eating all the foods and you don't restrict as far, because I hear that a lot, I don't restrict any foods. Yeah, but you're eating 1,200, 1,100, 900 calories. You're at the height of your prep. If you're thinking about food all the time, it's because your body knows you need it. So we can also be grateful to our body for showing us what we need, reminding ourselves what our goal is, and then making sure we're set up with a plan of action for, for after this deficit to get out of it without it turning into like a fixation that we're acting on. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing to point out is like, regardless of like your size, like your friends and your loved ones are going to be there. You know, like my husband, I met him in the middle of hormonal issues. I gained like 30, 35 pounds, maybe when I was dealing with that healing and he wasn't like, Oh, I don't want to be a few. Like he didn't even 
see me any different. You know, he still sees yeah. me the same. He's seen me 35 pounds heavier, 35 pounds less. He's seen me all shapes and sizes. And that's the kind of people you want in your life. And there's lots of coaches out there who are struggling with this stuff and they don't want to talk about it. They're like hiding in the dark. And then they think that I need to be extremely shredded in order to build my business. And if I don't look like this, like people won't love me or want to work with me. I'm telling you, I was able to build my business when I was heavier every single year, it's been growing. And so it's not about your physical body. It's about what you have to offer people, which is your education. It's what you've learned. It's helping others. Like that's what people care about. They don't care if you have a shredded six pack. And if you are the person that does care about those things, just take time to reflect on you and the things that hold value in your life, because that does seem to be more shallow. end, I would say in, a, yes. in the nicest way possible. <laughs> yes. I think that's like a reflection of like how they maybe feel where their value is. And so it is important that they look within and think of other things that bring value, or maybe it was reinforced in them that that's the only value they have, or maybe the only attention and love they ever got was when they looked a certain way. So I love that you just shared that because it's so true. You're so genuine to say that too, because we really are so much, you know, my message build more than just a body. We have to be able to do that. And, and yours looking beyond everything like this is so much deeper than surface level. And if we don't accept who we are and we don't embrace who we are, the rest won't ever matter. Cause, um, you know, when you, I don't know if you ever had this, but sometimes like you'll change your body, but if you changed in an unhealthy way or a way that didn't feel good for you, it's not the same. Or if you don't feel confident in yourself because you didn't even like who you were, the body doesn't fix it. It's not a bandaid at all. So if you're struggling with something about yourself, maybe you're not embracing yourself or you don't have value elsewhere. It's important to build that so that no matter how your physique or your body changes, you know, at your core, you're still you. Yeah. Um, the really, really good points here. So definitely been a nice hour chatting with We're you. Vibing. I, love I know. It. <laughs> Although I turned off my air conditioning and I'm sweating in my office. <laughs> I had to put my, my feet are up. freezing right now because I have mine on and I'm like, oh my God, but I have fuzzy socks on, but still. Yeah. That's just prep for you. Yeah. Um, Celeste, what are, you know, a few things that you're excited about in the future with your business? Oh my gosh, Nicole. I'm so excited. I'm hoping to launch my first psychoeducation mastermind support group where it's going to be like curated group of individuals. I'm hoping to do this next year. I want to launch the applications in October of this year. That's on the horizon. Um, I'm also excited about all the speaking engagements and the live events. I set the intention early, actually at the end of last year, early this year, like I want to do a lot of those contributions and pretty much every month I'm booked and I keep getting new bookings each month, which is amazing. Like I'm living that dream. Um, I would really like to write another book. Um, I don't know exactly when that'll be or how that'll look. That's something I want for my business. Um, but really it's just scaling what I'm already doing. That's something I'm really excited about and finding more ways to bring this message to the bodybuilding world and federations and maybe get myself out there even more like with the NPC potentially or find ways to do that. So I'm excited about that. Just the contribution and the growth with the events, as well as with um, the, the work that I'm already doing. Yeah. It's always really cool. And you can take something digital and make it more in person. 
Yeah, it's so fulfilling. I love it. The connection is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited for you because I know that you've been passionate about, you know, these subjects. And, you know, ever since I started listening to your podcast, I was like, this girl's got a great speaking voice. So you're be great for it. <laughs> Thank you. But all right. Well, I appreciate your time today, Celeste. For anyone who is interested in working with her, I'm going to include her information down below alongside with her Instagram. So you can go ahead and check her out and get to know her a bit more. And anything else you want to add before we log off today? Uh, That's it. I appreciate you so much for having me on again. Thank you.